The Rings of Power Season 1 Ending and Theories Explained. Welcome back, you Hobbit heads, to our breakdown for the Season 1 finale for The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. It's done. And yes, while it's done, this series is far from over. Whether this episode had you alloyed or annoyed based on countless fan theories, you can't deny it gave us all of the ore and lore and plenty of gifts. Plenty of gifts indeed. We're going to break down everything that happened and what it means for the Rings of Power in just a sec, but in order to do so, we have to spoil what happens. So if you haven't seen the finale yet, look away before it's too late. Galadriel, look at me! Okay. While we sadly didn't get any more moments this episode with Arondir, Bronwyn, and Theo in the Southlands, or with Durin and Disa and their new pet Balrog in Casa Doom, we finally got some answers to our theories, some right, and some delightfully unexpected. For you, our Lord Sauron. Wait, what? He is not Sauron. Let's back up a bit. You are Sauron, are you not? First off, we still didn't get any solid answers on who the cultists really are, but we can still infer a lot based on who they thought the stranger is. We do know that they hail from Rune, the lands to the far east of Middle-earth. And by now, Morgoth's influence would have already spread far and wide among the Easterlings since the beginnings of the First Age. As we see with their defeat, they share a resemblance with the Ringwraiths, so they must have tapped into the same power of the Unseen World that Sauron is trying to wield. And with this cult awaiting Sauron's return, they have been trying to find the successor to Morgoth. As for their beloved constellation, the Hermit's Hat, all I can think of is maybe their leader isn't Morgoth or Sauron at all, but instead it's Tom Bombadil, baby! But once the cult realized their mistake about the stranger, they called him an Astar. He's the other, the Astar. The Astari is the name of the group of Maiar that would come to be known as the Wizards, like Gandalf the Grey, Saruman the White, and Radagast the Brown. The Astari also included two Blue Wizards, Alatar and Palando. All that's really known about the Blue Wizards at this point is that they eventually travel to the Far East to prevent the races of men from falling under Sauron's influence. Saruman the White would also join them at some point later on too. But does this cult using the term Istar mean that they have come in contact with Alatar and Palando already? My hope is that the hunters we saw in the first episode are actually the Blue Wizards since Orome, the hunter of the Valar, would have sent them. As for the stranger, the only gray area about this guy is that he's definitely Gandalf. Me. First off, Gandalf just can't help but get thrown around like a magical ragdoll. Next, his speech to the cultists evokes the same challenge he yells to the Balrog in Casa Doom. Go back to the shadow! His staff illuminates a blinding light at the top, just like when he chases off the Ringwraiths at Minas Tirith. Gandalf's same love of Lepidoptery at the top of Orthanc turns the cultists into a bunch of moths. And by the end of this episode, his talking about adventures with Nori immediately brings to mind his goading Bilbo on an adventure. Wait, you're late for dinner. <laughs> and as the stranger and Nori head off into the east, we even get the best advice for adventure with a direct quote. When in doubt, always follow your nose. If in doubt, in the Adok, always follow your nose. Meanwhile, across the sea in Numenor, we see the reign of Tar Palantir come to an end. Tar Palantir was the last of the Numenorean kings to strive for friendship with the elves and to maintain faith in the Valar. But the Numenorians forced him from power as they became a proud people. It's ironic that Tarpalantir, known as the Farsighted, would have a daughter who has now lost her sight. Because now, with Muriel's blindness and her growing support for Elendil and the rest of the faithful, her claim to power and the Numenorean throne may be in jeopardy. Ferrazon is already positioning himself to ascend to power. And now, Aarion may also discover the same dark secret that Muriel knows about Numenor's fate, but will she interpret it correctly? The biggest hint at foreshadowing the future of Numenor, however, is Ferrazon's mentioning of immortality. 
At some point, Sauron will come to Numenor and establish a new cult of Morgoth, leading the Numenorians to revolt against the Valar in their attempt to gain immortality for themselves. But speaking of Sauron, let's get to the meat of this episode. Give me the meat and give it to me all. We finally got our long-awaited reveal as to who Hot Sauron really is, and surprise, surprise, or no surprise, it's Halbrand. The clues were there all along. Looks can be deceiving. Sorry to Dan, I know he was really hoping Halbrand would be the eventual King of the Dead, but unfortunately for that theory, the way is shut. We have previously outlined all of the reasons that Halbrand is Sauron. First, this dude can't help but search out the nearest forge wherever he goes. I'm telling you, there is not another man on this isle that knows this craft better than I. He also has the ability to say just the right thing to twist others' minds to his purposes. You're not so bad, Loman. We even get some foreshadowing to his eventual return to Numenor with his imprisonment and his quick advising to Farazone. I wouldn't advise that. Plus, look at his armor, completely covered in rings. And when he speaks to his new soulmate Galadriel, he really wants to take his feelings for her and... Find it to my very being. That's not weird at all. But in this episode, there's no question about what's happening. Halbrand immediately flatters Celebrimbor with a mithril tongue and wastes no time showing interest in the elf's jewel work and metal crafting. For someone with a lot of questions for Celebrimbor, Halbrand also has a lot of answers, ideas, and suggestions. Or as he would put it... Call it... A gift. Now, if you were watching this episode with a Tolkien fan, chances are they shot up and pointed at the screen just like Leo. Because one of Sauron's most infamous forms of disguise was as Anatar, the Lord of Gifts, with which he tricked the elves into creating the Rings of Power. Halbrand goes on to forge his relationship with the elvensmiths of Eregion, even planting the idea in Celebrimbor to create a circular object that can arc the light of Mithril back in on itself. He develops the idea that one object won't be strong enough to harness the power needed to save the elves, but it will take two and as we eventually see, three. But when Halbrand's influence causes Celebrimbor to quote Adar's description of Sauron's Faradwith Forge, that's when Galadriel knows that sweet, sweet Halbrand has gone a little bit Sauron. I said As Galadriel discovers the horrifying truth that her search for Sauron only helped further his goals, we finally get insight into the dark history of Sauron's inner conflict. Remember, Sauron was originally a Maya that followed Aule, the mastersmith of the Valar, but Sauron fell to the twisted leadership of Morgoth. After the War of Wrath and the defeat of Morgoth, Sauron felt ashamed and wanted to repent, but feared the potential punishment of the Valar should he return to Valinor. Sauron strived to create a world of peace and order, and as a Maya of Aule, he longed to forge and create new things. But like all tyrants, his vision of a perfect world was twisted by his own power, pride, and desire to dominate. He believes that he has found his equal in Galadriel, who, even from an early age, had wanted to rule a realm of her own. But as Sauron attempts to appeal to her visions of power, he says what we will later hear Galadriel tell Frodo as she faces her ultimate test against evil and corruption. But my favorite addition to Tolkien's lore is the dark secret that Galadriel must keep to save her people. Expose Sauron for who he really is, or keep his purposes a secret so that Celebrimbor can continue forging salvation for the elves. You needn't lie to them. Simply let the work proceed. After Elrond goes full CSI Middle-earth and also discovers the lies about Halbrand's lineage, he too understands the implications of withholding this dark information. Galadriel and Elrond will have more than just rings to bind their fates together, as they must hold onto this terrible secret for the safety of Middle-earth. Because Celebrimbor and the elves will complete the elven rings of power on their own, these rings will remain somewhat hidden from Sauron's control, unlike the other rings for dwarves and men. But as Celebrimbor finishes forging the rings, we get a flash of the eye of Sauron as the mithril melts away, signaling that Sauron still has a connection to their power. 
We see Vilya, the Ring of Air, which will pass from Celebrimbor to Gil-galad and finally to Elrond. We also have Narya, the Ring of Fire, which Gil-galad will give to Círdan the Shipwright, who will then pass it on to Gandalf in the Third Age. And lastly, we have Nenya, the Ring of Water, which will belong to Galadriel. While we were hoping her brother Finrod would have something to do with the creation of Mithril, therefore reuniting some of his light with Galadriel in her Mithril Ring, it's still poetic for Galadriel to have to sacrifice Finrod's dagger as she grows past the darkness inside her. And finally, we transition from the Elven Rings of Power to the fleshy Eye of Sauron as we see Sauron has fast-traveled back home to the Southlands. Turns out after all of his interest in Mithril, the ore he really wanted was Mord Ore. Sorry. But as Sauron marches towards the erupting Orodruin, we still have some questions about what may happen at the beginning of the next season of the Rings of Power. We know that Sauron still needs to devise his plans to forge the Seven Rings for the Dwarf Lords and the Nine Rings for Kings of Men. Oh yeah, and one ring to bind them. But his future attempts to consolidate his power and all of the rings will eventually lead to the War of Sauron and the Elves. And without spoiling too much down the line, let's just say Celebrimbor's future is pretty Celebrimbor. Anyways, don't forget that Adar and his boys are still lurking underneath Mordor's newly overcast skies. And despite Galadriel helping Sauron's goals for the Southlands, Sauron may still need to contend with Adar as the rightful successor to Morgoth. Because however you interpret Adar saying he killed Sauron, which he certainly did not, it was enough that Sauron may still be out for revenge. As for the rest of the Southlands, will we reunite with Arondir, Bronwyn, and Theo? Will Theo take Galadriel's words of wisdom to heart and become a leader or even a king among the men of the South? And what about Isildur, who was left for dead? Will he end up having his own journeys in the Southlands before returning to Numenor? Maybe he even has a solo encounter with Sauron to foreshadow their final fight. That would have a nice ring to it. Anyways, folks, there you have it. That's everything we spotted in the epic conclusion to season one of the Rings of Power. We'll be wandering and wondering about plenty of theories while we impatiently wait for season two. But tell us, what did you think of the finale? What did you think of this season overall? And where do you think season two will take us? Always fully your nose. Let us know in the comments below, and for the latest and greatest in Middle Earth and pop culture, stay tuned to Nerdist.com.